Matthew chapter 5. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This word blessed obviously is a repetition, isn't it? It means, oh, how happy. Oh, how happy. How many of you are, oh, how happy in your lives? Yay, got one, he's leaving. So, uh, <clears throat> blessed is the man, Psalm 1 says, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or, or sit in the seat of the mockers or the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers, but not so with the wicked. Oh, how happy is that man. Blessed. What does this world teach you about happiness? How to attain happiness? We're all after it, aren't we? I just want to be happy. If you just have that relationship, you're going to be happy. How many of you decided to get married? Mixed bag, isn't it? Happiness? Sure. But is it fleeting? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, if I just have kids, I'll just love them and hug them. And Hey, there are those moments, aren't there? But really... There's a lot of struggle in there. There's a lot of worry and concern and, and self-examination. Am I doing this right? You know, and you, and you kind of come to the end and you go, gosh, I'm a miserable parent. You know, Lord, help me. And then they go ahead and they confirm that. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Happiness in a certain lifestyle. If I just look like this. I just seek after these things, I'll find happiness in my soul. My soul will be satisfied. It's a lie. Does God want to give us all good things? Yes. Does He desire relationships for us? Yes. Is marriage a thing from the Lord? Yes. Are kids a thing from God? Yes. They're blessings. But we look here at God's way. God's way is different than man's way. If you just take care of yourself, you know, if you just focus on number one, everything will, you know, fly out. You know, it's just the, the psycho babble that we get fed down our throats and we take hook, line, and sinker every single day. If we just go to the Word of God and look at what Jesus says here, we find that, wow, His kingdom is not our kingdom. His ways are not our ways. And we come to Jesus and He says, oh, how happy are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
wait a second. Oh, how happy are the poor in spirit. I don't want to hang around people who are poor in spirit. They bring me down, man. Anyone else? We want to hang around people that make me feel good. And God's talking about something that's going on in their heart there. Blessed. Oh, how happy. The attitude is poor in spirit. Do you know there's three parts of these Beatitudes, and each one of them, Beatitudes meaning uh, just basically the Christian attitude here, in, chapter, in verse 3 through, uh, through 10. There's three different parts in each one. First is the blessing. I've told you, oh, how happy you're, you're blessed. Because your attitude is poor in spirit or meek or a peacemaker. So there's the attitude. There's a blessing. There's the attitude. Then lastly, there's the promise. There's the association with there's a There's a fact that it's associated with that. And so as we go through, look at these. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, how happy. You're going to find happiness with the poor in spirit. What does that mean to be poor in spirit? Broken? Yeah, busted inside. Spiritually bankrupt before God is literally what it means. You're just, there's nothing in you worth of of value before the Lord. Now, that etches against my pride as a human being. Anyone else? I have something to offer God. I am worthy of something. I have, you know, you are good. You know, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and people like you. How do you experience this poor in spirit? First of all, it's by His grace. You know, that all sheep, they just, we were sheep, and sheep are, are just kind of, they do their own thing. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, the Scriptures teach. But how do you experience this poor in spirit that He's talking about? And I would say, as I look at Scripture, it's through encountering God. It's by His grace that when we are in His presence, the reality of who we truly are and who He is, they they meet. I don't know, when you're sitting here and you're worshiping the Lord, all of a sudden, there's a joy that overflows in your life. But I tell you what, if there's sin going on, that's not happening. There's a conviction. Because God's going to go straight to the problem and go, hey, this is in between us. I died for it. Let's clean it up. Oh, no, I've got that, God. Let me worship you in my own way. No, I demand poor in spirit, broken humility in front of me. That's who I am. By encountering God, Peter, in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw the water, and he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, who's Peter, and asked him to put out for a little bit from shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deeper water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, 
man, Lord, we, we, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'm going to let down the nets. He's experiencing Christ. And when they had done so, when they had obeyed, they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish in their nets, they began, the nets began to break. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now that's not good. But when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at his knees, at Jesus' feet. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had. And so were James and John, the son of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon Peter, Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be, you know, a fisher of men. You will fish for people. And so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. But do you see the progression here? Jesus came to them. And he interacts with them in their daily lives. And they came to the reality of, whoa, you are something else. And in that experience, whatever it is, I think many of you will testify to this, you realize who you are and who he is. He is utterly holy and awesome and God. And there's a conviction, a working of the Holy Spirit in your life that shows you, I am am a sinner before you, God. Get away from me. Get away from me. Like a caged animal. Get away. What does God want? He wants to get in the cage with you. He wants to put his arms around you and clean you up. He loves you. That's God. But blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That bankruptcy that Peter had. He he knew there was nothing in him. Notice the response. Depart from me. But God desires to come close to us. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He's drawn to the humble. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, remember this story? In the year that King Uzziah died, a very popular, very uh, well-known, loved king, Isaiah's talking, it says, I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on the throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Set apart, high and lifted up is the Lord Almighty. Nothing's like him. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts shook, and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke, the Shekinah glory of God, the very presence. Woe to me, I cried. Isaiah was undone. He goes, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I am undone. In his presence, when you encounter God, man, holy, (laughs) whoa. 
And notice God's response. Get out of here, Isaiah. What is God's desire? Because his desire is to cleanse us. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. It's gone. And notice, when God reaches out to us and he touches us and he cleanses us after that broken heart, what does he want to do with us? He wants to use us. But how many of us are trying to put the cart before the horse? Notice what happens next here. He says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. Man, this poor in spirit, this brokenness that Jesus is talking about is, is the very beginning of the Christian life. The Christian life. It is the characteristic that should permeate our souls as followers of Jesus Christ. We are poor in spirit. Not that we're walking around moping every time, but we know our place before the Lord. There's a humility in our lives. There's a humility in our lives. Acceptable worship flows from a broken spirit. David cried out, Psalm 51, 17, right? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart you will not despise. What does contrite mean? Bruised. A broken and bruised spirit God will not despise. He draws near to it. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And how he longs to do that. Last illustration of a broken spirit or being poor in spirit can be found in Luke. I think it's 16. To some who were confident, this is starting in verse 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told his, this parable. Two men went up to a temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Both, you know, kind of interesting people, characters in, in the New Testament. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Now, the Pharisee, he was like the super Christian of the day. We could only be like this guy and dress like this guy did and, and, and pray the way they did. If we could only be like him. I'm thankful, God, that I'm not like this other people. I'm thankful that I'm this person you've made me, so to speak. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. And he stood before the Lord on his own good deeds, on his own merit. But look at this. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. How is your spirit before the Lord this morning? Broken spirit, a contrite heart, or the pride of man? Is there humility, knowing that it's the only one, that we only stand by him by grace, through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That's the only reason why I'm right before the Lord. 
Or is it something that I'm doing, that I've did, that God accepts me? Hmm. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The third part of each of these beatitudes is a reality, like a promise. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? The reality is that the kingdom of heaven possesses those who are poor in spirit. You aren't going to find people in the kingdom of heaven who aren't poor in spirit. It's a characteristic of Christians. It's a characteristic of those who have met God. Do we blow it from time to time? Yes. Do we get haughty? Yes. But the Lord is faithful to chastise us and humble us, but there should be this characteristic in us, a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, a continually humbling. We need this work in our lives. Lord, I'm not a humble person before you. Humble me, Lord God. That's a scary prayer. But notice, oh, how happy are those who are poor in spirit. The way up is down. It's the upside-down kingdom, or I like to say the right-side-up kingdom, God's kingdom. We're working upside-down. So, only the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. Remember Isaiah? He was undone. Ah, I'm undone. In your presence, I am just, ah. Gosh, I'm horrible. Isn't mourning... You know, kind of an interesting situation. How many of you with your kids, they mourn because they got caught? Anybody get mourned because they get caught? Yeah, me too. That's not what the Lord is talking about here. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God doesn't mourn people who get caught. He doesn't comfort those people who get caught. That's not what he's talking about at all. It's a mourning that's deep in your heart. It's a godly sorrow. There's a difference, and this is very important. Out of that broken spirit, out of that recognition, comes a mourning over sin. A deep repentance in our hearts. I was listening to a sister pray this morning, Lord, forgive me. I didn't do what you called me to do in this situation. There's a mourning that happened there. That's a righteousness that God is working in them. There's a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. When we've blown it, the Lord comes in and there's a mourning. Ah, I've, I've grieved you, Lord. Come in, forgive me. You know, we could see an example. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church to really set them straight. Remember when we went through Corinthians? That's not the favorite book to get, you know, to letter to get from an apostle. Oh gosh, Paul, is there anything good in here? <laughs> Did I mess up that badly? You know, you didn't want to receive it. It was a rebuke, a chastening, a corrective letter. And there were others in between that we don't have recorded. But Paul in 2 Corinthians, he talks about how they responded to the letter. He says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurts you, but only for a little while. Paul's kind of going back and forth. You know, I'm sorry that you got hurt, but I'm really not sorry. Because, yet now I'm happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended. And so, were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Godly sorrow, 
a mourning over sin, a mourning over the reality of the brokenness in your life, brings repentance, which leads to salvation and leaves no regret. You're never going to regret it. But worldly sorrow brings what? Death. There's two types of sorrow. Oh, I'm sorry I got caught. Does that change your heart? No, but godly sorrow, the sorrow that the Lord wants to have in our lives, it's, it's, it's about repenting. Our hearts break. Oh, Lord, I've done this before you. And our response isn't just to go, oh, and leave it there. It's to change our life and our actions, to turn around and stop doing that and to start doing what the Lord has called us to do. We stop this action and we start the action that the Lord wants us to do. Repenting, turning around. That's what godly sorrow produces. He says that's salvation. Repentance from dead works to, to the living God. It produces that in us. That's interesting. And he goes on and says, see that this godly, godly sorrow is produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proven yourself to be in, uh, innocent in this matter. You know, when they were shown by Paul how they were derelict in their walk with the Lord, how off kilter they were in, in the things that they were deceived by, they were alarmed, they were broken, it hit them. They were cut, they are going, ah, oh, I can't believe we did this. Let's get it right, right now. And there was a longing in their hearts to get it right before the Lord and before Paul as their spiritual oversight. And they did it. They turned. They gave up those things. They corrected their, 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 their problems. They turned and they, and they did the right thing. So Paul shed some light on the process of God, godly sorrow. Repentance was demonstrated by the Corinthians. Another example from Scripture about those who mourn, and this is my favorite. And if you could just turn there to Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Raise your hand when you're there. <laughs> Luke chapter 7. Awesome. Starting in verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. And so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisees who had in invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is this is who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered, Simon, this is Simon, the guy who's, the, the, the Pharisee. I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, and so he forgave their debts both. Now, which of them will love more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, said Jesus. Then he turned towards the woman 
and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet, which is a custom at the time. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. The greeting of a holy kiss. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Before I, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As great, I'm sorry, as her great love has shown, by whom, by whoever has been forgiven, little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who, you know, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This godly sorrow, brokenness. This woman was an adulterer. She was, a, she was caught up in such evil, just broken person. And she came before the Lord in front of everybody, just abandoning herself before the Lord's feet. I am such a sinner. And she, she wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. What humility. This poor in spirit, this morning. And what did Jesus do? Your sins are forgiven. I tell you what, the greatest comfort a human being could ever have is knowing that our evil is washed away from the sight of God. No matter what you've done in your life this morning, no matter who you've been, no matter how you've interacted, Jesus Christ can wipe you clean. He can make your sins gone with one word. All you have to do is humble yourself before God. Fall down. Lord, forgive me, a sinner. And He will lift you up. He will cleanse you and make you right. As I've been thinking about this, I'm just thinking the word comfort in the Greek means to come alongside pick up paraclete the holy spirit's name is comforter i will send you another comforter paraclete holy spirit's name is comforter it's interesting so as we mourn over our sin which is actually the result of the ministry of the holy spirit the holy spirit comes to us and he convicts us of sin not to rub it in our face but to get it out because god wants to be close to you wants to be close to us. The Holy Spirit ministers to our hearts and shows us these things and says, give it to me, son. Give it to me, daughter. Let me clean you up. Let's get this over with. Come to the cross. As we do, the Spirit of God begins to comfort us as we mourn for our sins. He's actually the down payment for us. He's the seal upon our lives that we have been bought and we've been purchased. He never leaves us. He's with us constantly. You know, I think quite often, and this is just my personal opinion, it's quite possible that much of the anxiety that our, our society faces is a result of living in a life that's in opposition to the Lord. I don't know. Just think about it. 
how quick we are not to go to God and call out and how quick we are to just go down different methods to medicate or to just just to go away from what, what is genuinely the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Just food for thought. How we need the comfort of God in our lives to take away the anxiety, to take away the fear and the worry and to know that He is with us. Oh, how happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your son Jesus, who spoke these words on your behalf. That we would know that you long to be with us. You long to cleanse us from our sin. Help us to see that the way up is down. By your Spirit, humble our hearts now. And I pray that if there's someone in this room, there are people in this room who have never given their lives to you, that have never submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, they would do so now. That they would cry out in their hearts, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. And Lord, that you would comfort their hearts and cleanse them from all unrighteousness as you promised you would. That you'd make them a new creation in Christ Jesus. Father, we we know your spirit's at work. And I ask that you would minister to your saints, minister to your children. Empower us, Father, to live the life that you've called us to live. In the name of Jesus, amen.